0: The gaming industry is evolving and it has a home at CES. Join our global community of influencers, developers, publishers and investors that are on the hunt for the latest immersive experiences from consoles to cloud platforms, wearables to esports. CES Gaming has it all. Reserve your exhibit space today at ces.tech/exhibitor. This is CES Tech Talk. I'm James Kotecki. CES 2024 is January 9th through 12th in Las Vegas, and it's time to build the hype. So let's get smart about the world's most influential tech event, gaming. You love it. Your kids love it. Your parents love it. We all love it at CES. It's an essential part of every CES conversation. And today, we bring out the big guns with not one, not two, but three amazing players. Mike Lucero is the head of product management for gaming at Samsung. Daphne Perro is the chief marketing officer at Blacknut, a cloud gaming service and a Samsung partner. And joining us as a returning guest, and I'll just say a returning champion, is Brian Kaminsky, who covers tech trends for the Consumer Technology Association, which produces CES and this very podcast. So let's get serious about playing some games. Brian, let's start with you because it, it seems like everyone is a gamer now, but you actually have some data from your your analysis to understand what does that actually mean? What are some top line numbers you can give us to help us understand basically the context of gaming here, middle of 2023 as we're headed towards CES 2024?
1: Of course, and I like to categorize the how we define this top line in, in two ways. I think first, let's look at, uh, the Consumer Technology Association's forecast numbers from our semi annual forecast product. The US gaming software and services market is expected to reach $48.6 billion in 2023 per our latest software and services industry forecast. The hardware side is expected to reach $6.9 billion in 2023 per our latest July forecast there. So you already have a market that's growing that is quite large in the billions in terms of expected revenue. But what does it mean on the gamer side? And so by the end of last year, we had done our Future of Gaming 2022 study, and it found that 73% of the US population ages 13 to 64 play video games weekly. The average gamer, in fact, plays 24 hours per week up 50% from 16 hours in 2019. So one, wow. this market is growing, more people of all ages are engaging in it, and it's just an exciting time to be a gamer or an analyst watching the gaming industry, to be frank.
0: And, and so to be clear, that analysis of how much time people spend playing games, thats is that all firmly in the kind of post-pandemic world, maybe habits that they picked up in the pandemic are, are sticking? Is that kind of what we can take from that?
1: Certainly, I think a really good way to contextualize what happened was an evolution from gaming from being just mere, just simply entertainment and fun entertainment at that to really a social media platform in a lot of ways. A lot of people turn to video games as a form of connection in a time when people are apart and realize that this is a great platform and medium to continue doing that post pandemic. So I really think that what you're seeing is just this evolution of what gaming is logically becoming from an entertainment perspective.
0: (laughs) And speaking of evolution, people probably think of video games, they think of consoles, right? That's maybe the classic understanding of what playing video games is. Uh, but Mike, of course, Samsung is changing the definition of what video gaming is with its Samsung gaming hub. This came out in the middle of 2022. So about a year ago from the moment that we're recording this conversation here, can you give us a sense of what this is, what it's doing today and what the Samsung gaming hub means about where gaming might go in the future?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Yeah, super excited. First of all, about the the data, you know, it's obviously great to be in a growing market. And, you know, I've been in the business for quite a while and, you know, it continues to grow, which is just really exciting because it's, you know, it's really the new form of entertainment that's, you know, surpasses all other forms because it's so interactive, so social, all those things you mentioned um, sort of factor into that. So uh, with the Samsung Gaming Hub, which we launched uh, about a year ago, like you said, you know, we basically the idea. Is that you know we we basically created a what I call a virtual console that brings all sorts of gaming services together in a user interface that feels very natural to gamers. Uh, you've got all those uh, great services um, sort of sitting side by side. So at the end of the day, it's really about choice for gamers and you know really giving them um, you know the best games, the best um, you know the best ways of interacting with them for what what it, for, for for the game type. Um, and um, you also other forms of gaming entertainment like Twitch or YouTube gaming. So it brings all things gaming together in one place in a very user-friendly um, environment. We just announced that um, we the game streaming is available on 21 million TVs around the world. Since we've launched the service, we've had 13-fold increase in the um, wow. amount of people using the gaming hub, so it's you know it's definitely taking off. We're seeing all sorts of gamers um, flocking to the platform as of um, Summer Game Fest, um, and we announced Blacknut and Antstream, and welcome Daphne with Blacknut. Um, that um, you know we're, we have over 3,000 games available. So in less than a year, we've mm-hmm. you know surpassed that number, which is really exciting. And that you know the beauty of that is it's games of all genre types um and you know we've got sort of you know xbox but the more serious gamers with uh, you know black we've got more family-oriented games um you know e- each each service has its own unique place in our in our in, in, in with in terms of the audience segments and i know i will talk about segments in a bit and there's so much diversity in the gaming um, um community that you know we're able to serve all those through a single tv um, the beauty of mm-hmm. it is you can play you know Games directly through the TV, you know, no console required. You know, you can use your an Xbox controller, you can use a PlayStation controller, you can play Xbox games with a PlayStation controller. So it's really all about <laughs> choice and freedom. Um, and you know, with the advent of um, uh, partners like Blacknut, you know, we've got uh, you can also use the remote control to play some of those games, um, and also some of our partners have a mobile remote as well, so you can play um, with the remote. The whole goal is to open it up and to as many people as possible. Um, on as many form factors as possible Um, and, you know, bring the greatest games. You know, obviously we're super excited about Starfield coming out um, in uh, later in September. And, you know, the fact that you can play it the day it comes out and and you don't have to download it. I mean, it's going to be a huge game, both hopefully in terms of the impact on the market, but also physically a huge game. And one of the great benefits of game streaming is you don't have to actually download software. You can just play it directly through the cloud you know, you can just play instantly. So um, you can actually play games more quickly than if you had the disc in hand, which is pretty cool for gamers. And they really like that notion of, of instant and not having to manage storage yeah. and all that kind of stuff.
0: And I, I really want to get into what Black Nut is bringing to this, but one more just kind of clarifying question on the Samsung Gaming Hub. Is the vision here that people are going to, you know, ditch their consoles or never need to get a console in the first place? Or is it kind of additive? Does it fit into a universe where people still want or need consoles for, you know, a serious hardcore Gaming experience. What's the vision of that?
2: That's a that's a great question. And our goal is to be additive, not sort of re- not replacement. We love all forms of gaming. So the 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 we have basically a row where all the um, where all the uh, apps um, live, but then also you're right by the console So you might see a PS five there, PS four, and Xbox right right alongside Blacknet. So we definitely mm-hmm. embrace all forms of gaming. Um, you know, what it does is it removes the cost of having to buy a console. So for example, if you're a PlayStation user and you want to, you know, play uh, Starfield on September 6th, um, you know, you can use your, you know, your, your PlayStation controller to play Starfield and don't have to actually buy a console. So that's, you know, it's a much Mm -hmm. cheaper, uh, form of, uh, being able to play that game because at the end of the day, it's about great games. So it's more about accessibility than really sort of removing any experience because we know there's always going to be hardcore gamers that want to do consoles there's always going to be hardcore gamers who want to do pcs Um, it's just a new way to game and just make it easier for more people in the household to do that
0: And speaking of great games, let's bring BlackNut into the mix. Daphne, my understanding is BlackNut is all about cloud gaming. And so can you just tell me maybe even on a philosophical level, how do you think about the games that you build? How do you think about the audience that you're building it for? And does the fact that it's kind of cloud-based really play into those decisions?
3: Yeah, I think the data shows uh, we're gaming content is gaining more and more you know audience and um, affinity i would say getting to be the in the noble um kind of entertainment not only for geeks and not only for people um Mm. worrying about hardware and the best you know gpus and, and that is why cloud gaming is such an innovation and such a good thing i think for the content owners also to uh, democratize, open uh, the content to anyone who wants to access it with no uh, difficulties in terms of barrier of uh, technology. Uh, It's exactly the same way that before you were going to the cinema to see a movie and now you can have a VOD on your TV. We are exactly in the Mm -hmm. same spot right now with gaming content, uh, except it's not passive content that you just consume. You are interactive. Um, in the way you can uh, interact with the, the the content, which is streamed exactly in the same way that the the movies are uh, uh, by other platform. Yeah, so so mm-hmm. I would say yeah. cloud gaming is this. It opens you know content access to a larger audience to more people that don't really care about hardware also. Uh, They just want the good content and they don't want to be to manage, you know, the the technical part of gaming. Uh, We also have the ability through cloud gaming to have a cross device approach of the content. That means for BlackNut, you can start your your, um, game on the Samsung TV and then go on holidays and continue on your Samsung mobile or other mobile tablets, PCs. And you know, join your game exactly where you were um, on another device. This is so great uh, in terms of uh, you know freedom for, for the consumer, and also it um, I would say for the content and the publishers and the content owner and developers, it allows them to reach new audience uh, also worldwide because mm-hmm. some regions are not PC uh, very familiar. They are more you know mobile based uh, consumers. And so now you can play PC games on any device, even a PC, Uh, even if the screen is smaller, I will say the content can be accessible on other device that it was built Mm -hmm. for.
0: And so then a question to all three of you, do we see in the data that this move towards the cloud makes people more willing to do maybe what they do on Netflix, which is, you know, browse a lot, dabble, try something, discard it, try another thing for five minutes, discard it, then find the the thing that they're totally obsessed with and, you know, play it for days. Do we see that showing up in kind of different ways of consuming uh, that gaming content just as streaming of, you know, on Netflix, for example, changes the way that we consume that kind of entertainment?
3: It's true that in the model of Black Nerd, it's one subscription and you can uh, consume any games of the library. So it's more than uh, 700 games now that you can pick too. And it's true that it's helping also people to discover new content they would not not buy. Yes. And also the curated way Mm -hmm. uh, that you can recommend content, uh, uh, associate content with others. Um on our side, BlackNet, we are um, also providing some business partners with the service. And uh, we are all now in the cross-content recommendation also. You know, I like a movie. I can play the games that is relative to it. or the query, yeah. Curry, yeah? Uh, I'm playing one movie and then I, I, I'm playing one game and then I want to see the movie of the same IP. So it's enlarging, I would say, the fan base of an IP and, and the content in uh, consuming yeah. this content in many ways. Yeah.
2: We've seen the same behavior sort of across across the board. There's a segment of users we call the hummingbirds, and they basically just, you know, hmm. try things. Like you said, they basically try things until they find the uh, you know, the, the, the thing they love, and then they binge on that, um, which is very much, like you said, like the you know, the Netflix model. Um, we, we really do see that transformation happening right now, and that's why um, consumption is going to continue to go up because... Um, you know, again, it's that friction of time, all those hassles. It's all about convenience, and you know, removing those 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 physical barriers of you know getting those games onto your onto your devices and you know getting you know everything hooked up. Um, removing all that really allows people just to focus on the thing that really matters, which is the great content.
1: Yeah, and I think to contextualize that, I I really like this discussion of where. Gaming as an entertainment, it started to converge with other forms of content and entertainment. Really, right? Um, a stat I read the other day that I, I that really solidified how generationally too that shift's occurring is. I think it was called Y Pulse. Ninety nine percent of Gen Z males play games, spending more time gaming than watching TV. For yeah. example, mm. and you have in twenty twenty three an estimated five hundred forty million esports viewers. Which is an increase of one and a half percent from last year. So really, when you're thinking about what that is, is we watch the evolution with the rise of Netflix and other streaming services. Move of well, I want to watch a show and I can pause it from my TV, go right to my phone. As we know, that form factor and the preference for smaller screens and more mobile screens worked on video. Same thing with gaming. And in fact you're already starting to see a pivot in terms of how subscription services are being adapted and adopted by U.S. gamers. So 43% of U.S. gamers uh, now pay for a gaming subscription service. And a lot of those subscription services, that's how you get the entry into that cloud market and model, which gives them that portability. That's really, when you think about accessibility, it's also accessibility, it's about portability.
0: And what's so interesting is that psychologically, What's going on for the user in their head might be something that they don't necessarily notice. You know the, the the differences in these industries that we like to demarcate. You know, in conversations like this, I'm watching esports, and then I, I I just click over one tab or something in my phone. I switch to a different app really quick, and now I'm playing that same game. Right. So in the user's mind, they're kind of having maybe one uh, continuous or slightly differentiated experience, but it's not as if they feel like they've 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 been dipping into multiple industries. Right. So I wonder. Um, you know, Mike, is, is Samsung preparing for a future where movies, TV shows, which, you know, increasingly can be based on video games, video games can be based on movies and TV shows. Obviously, eSports can go, you know, you watch eSports, you can play this, the, the game that the eSport is based on. Is, is Samsung thinking about this kind of blend, this kind of mashup of all these, what we previously defined as different genres, different industries, all kind of merging into this, 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 this glob of, of, of entertainment customization?
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I described earlier, you know, with the fact that, um, you know, yesterday um, I was watching Twitch on my TV and it was all about Baldur's Gate. Um, and then, you know, I go back to the gaming hub and see that it's on <clears throat> NVIDIA on GeForce Now and I and I buy it. So, I mean, A, they cross promote each other, but B, they also, yeah. um, they're, they're all in one place. So that convenience just really drives sort of cross-pollinization, which is what it's all, it's a win for um you know for for twitch and a win for 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 um baldur's gate and, and a win for nvidia so you know it, it's again it's it's creating a place where you can drive awareness and affinity and then you know drive purchase and just sort of great experiences for the gamer uh, another great example is the witcher you know obviously that's a netflix series but again that's available on uh, on uh, geforce now as well so you can um you know you can watch the netflix show and then you can fall in love with the ip there you may not be a witcher enthusiast but then you you know realize that it's available in, in in 4k by the way um on on nvidia and then you can play the game and then you'll probably be with spending a lot more time with it actually as the game as you as you mentioned brian you know people Typically, spend more time with the games because they're longer journeys, longer experiences. Um, it's you know, it's a it's a deeper relationship. But you know, it goes back and forth, and it's really you know, wonderful how you know. It's like you want to, You're more of a lean back mode. And you know, Last of Us is a great example. Um, you know, you're more in a lean back mode, and you'll um, watch the TV show and really fall in love with the characters. But you um, you know, you you want to actually you know do something, <laughs> then you can go back mm. to the game, uh, which is what happened when the series came out, you know, actually Last of Us gameplay and sales went way up. So it's just a great example of all boats rising.
0: I want to make sure we touch on generative AI in this conversation. Brian was actually on the first episode of this season of our podcast talking about AI. And so I want to bring uh, AI back into this conversation, thinking about the way that games are made and and experienced um, in in potentially new ways. Um, Daphne, how are you and how is your team thinking about the way that generative AI can help create games that, you know, maybe that you would traditionally create, but you kind of can create them faster? And also maybe new kinds of games, maybe new kinds of customizations or ways of interacting with individual users I don't know creating creating elements of the game in, in real time or quasi real time I think it's it seems like quite an open an open field of possibilities
3: yeah uh, well there's a lot of way where AI can optimize I would say the production process but also provide more personalized experience like for example the way you talk with Pngs um uh, it's like yeah. the game can can be more like you know native and and really personalized with the question that the user is asking. Um, but on our side, we also have, you know, more hidden facts that we need to optimize, for example, on the cloud part, the way the game is streamed. Um, and so adapt also mm-hmm. ourselves to the connectivities, you know, fluctuation, optimize the the feeds, uh, so the latency is the best for the players. So there's a lot of way where uh, AI is going to pre- create, I would say, optimization in that part, uh, that's true. But there's also in the building of the texture, uh, the creation of, you know, um, worlds and environments, uh, immersive uh, way to create uh, content and creative uh, backgrounds. So yeah, I strongly believe that there is a powerful tool here for lots of um, uh, a small parts and bigger parts, more visible for the player or not, uh, that is going to be productive.
1: It's amazing because we we're thinking about generative AI as a future state, but we've already seen how artificial intelligence has impacted games that are out today. Um, I, I, want, I like using examples. So one that jumps to mind is a game like Alien Isolation. So if you're familiar with the Alien franchise, right? it's a survival horror sci-fi franchise. Well, what they've decided to do is, well, let's take this, put it in a video game form, right? because people are craving interactive content. But what if we have the Alien? So your goal is to survive against this Alien. But what if the alien learned what you did in terms of how you avoided running away from it or obstacles or what you did to prevent it from catching you in the game? There's an AI algorithm powering the learning behind the alien, which is a very clever, unique way to create content for the gamer. Now, generative AI in that long term, what it looks like for the future state, that's on the developer side where personally, person when reviewing the trends, where's that going? Because what we've really seen is how gaming development cycles are getting longer and longer because the games are getting larger in scale. They're getting more immersive, which is one of the most important goals with any gaming experience. And so with generative AI, you might be able to create a whole new realm of tools, platforms, and assets that can quickly replicate an environment. So that way, a human's only coming in for the what's called the polishing part, right? The smoothing for the end state for that user especially when you think about how many consoles and platforms they have to develop for now. Um, Mike, you mentioned Baldur's Gate, and I love that you did, because I'm very excited for that game, on the Xbox, which is the console that I own. But it came out on PC yesterday. It's coming out on PlayStation in a few weeks, and there's no release date for Xbox because they're trying to figure out how to reconcile the visuals for the Series S model versus the Series X model, right? So that's they have to make sure that there's console parity. So in that regard, right, a generative AI tool theoretically can make some of this mm. porting, or just what's called porting, or bringing to other consoles and environments a lot easier. And that's where I'm excited for things like the gaming hub that we're talking about today, right? Because that also is a solution to what's quickly becoming a challenge of, I want a seamless ability to play games across platform at any time. Yeah,
2: and that's a great example because, you know, obviously... Baldur's Gate is, uh, you know, on in, on NVIDIA, so that's the PC version. You, you have access to, you know, more versions of games depending, depending on which platform they come out on. So, you know, again, it opens up, the, gives you more choices in terms of, um, you know, where you can purchase that content. So it gives you, it opens up and basically your TV becomes the window into, you know, more gaming platforms than um, in, in, in individual platforms.
3: In the meantime that we solve the problem of hardware, you can always stream, you know, the, The games on any device like we do at TechNet. So you solve the hardware issue, yeah, to wait for it.
0: We can't have a gaming conversation without touching on uh, the latest and the visions that we see in virtual reality, augmented reality, haptic technology. That would obviously be an entirely separate episode and we could have a great (laughs) conversation with these three folks, I'm sure, about that. But Mike, just real quick, as we're headed towards CES 2024, uh, what is the latest state of the gear that we're gonna be able to use to experience uh, horrifying aliens or mystical fantasy realms with increased realism around our entire bodies?
2: What I will say is you know, just in terms of haptics, you know, we, we um, support um, Rumble and our controllers um, on s- several of our services support the sort of existing haptics. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as well as voice, um, voice chat and all that. So it's, it's you know, we, we have sort of met the bar of current um, sort of immersive experiences. And again, with things like 4K and then being in the biggest TV in the house, you know, that is obviously a very immersive experience as well. In terms of actually um, sort of what I'll call next-gen experiences like VR, I think Daphne might have even more um, insights on that because she's uh, closer to the, some of the publishers that are doing stuff there.
3: Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of VR I actually have free headsets at home. The technology is there to have a good experience. I had very nice experience with some games built for that in a good way. Um, I love, for example, the Moss game uh, that was like a fairy tale. Uh, but I think the content is not already yet enough produced to en- engage user in, the, in a bigger way, in a, in a massive way. The publisher part for now, we're not completely focusing on VR for cloud gaming on our platform because we are more targeting, you know, family, um, people that doesn't, you know, want to invest in hardware. So so this is not exactly. our priority right now. Also it will mean a lot of power to uh, stream both screen because you have two screens, one for each eyes, yes, uh, um, yeah. in a very large scale and resolution. I think um, it will be difficult from the internet part, you know, to to, to support VR by cloud gaming yet. On a 2D widescreen experience, we already have done pilot on it. That means projecting the games on a cinema stuff uh, inside a VR environment, as to have the bigger experience, bigger screen. You know, uh, the inside yeah. a, a headset, but it, to stream a VR. In cloud gaming, it's
2: got to be yet a little
0: bit touchy in the short term. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah I not, a,
2: at all, not at all trivial. It, it's a big. It's not a big secret that you know the, the one of the biggest challenges in cloud streaming or game streaming is still the cost of delivery. You know, it's. I mean, costs are coming down really rapidly, uh, and uh, that's making all that more feasible. But at the end of the day, it's going to become a business decision around the cost of streaming and there's an audience thing too so it's gonna it's gonna take time but I think we're all excited uh, when it gets there it's gonna be some you know like like Daphne I've um, you know was had the PlayStation VR you know back when it came out and you know there's some really amazing immersive experiences and the, the, the user experience has gotten so much better lately yeah. you know all, I had one with all the wires and I was like tripping over myself and um, you know now with the you know the oculus and some of the other obviously the new Apple um device you know the Actually, we that it's are. it's much more seamless we are really
3: PR. doing some tests with some uh, of the r&d teams of some of the biggest pr uh, uh headset builders um but we are more looking into the 2d widescreen experience in in the first step uh as to uh, enjoy mm-hmm. the game like in, in cinema yeah uh, so that is it-
0: So you put on the VR goggles, but it's to enjoy effectively a very widescreen experience in a 2D format. Yeah,
3: Exactly. That's our first step in
1: in what we're looking to. And the thing I'll quickly add is as the experience has improved and the technology is improving, interest is there. That's the last thing I want to highlight too, from our Future of Gaming study at CTA, 41% of gamers are interested in gaming experiences on a VR headset and 29% plan to purchase a VR headset in the next 12 months. So the interest and the want is also there now. So that's that convergence of interest, tech, experience. (laughs) And just how is that gonna shape the future landscape of immersive gaming?
0: Well, this is such a rich conversation. We could easily have doubled it in length, um, but unfortunately we're about to wrap up. So I want to just go around our virtual table and just get one sentence, one phrase from each of you. Some, What is a gaming thing that our audience can be excited about for CES 2024? You can be as specific as possible. If you need to be a little bit more general because you don't want to give away any secrets, that's fine. But a gaming thing to be excited about at CES 2024. We'll start with you, Mike. We'll go to Daphne and in with you, Brian
2: right now it's all about more great content more great partners we're going to continue to double down on more uh, great content so yeah i would expect more amazing games um and uh that, that that's really the at the end of the day it's an entertainment business around content so we're that's where we're putting a lot of our energy right now
0: daphne
3: on our side uh, in blacknet uh, we continue to develop the more screen compatible we can for the content to be accessible so so it's our own map to continue, uh, integrating with all the, the manufacturer of device uh, wider. Uh, but uh, we are very, very excited about our new product, which is an SDK for media platform uh, to do the cross content uh, opportunities that we talked in, uh, in, in before. It is a recommendation, you know, between movies and gaming and all, and uh, working with our partners of distribution in that way Bringing gaming inside media platform uh, is our focus right now.
0: So SDK, just to define it, software development kit. So basically allowing software developers to build those kind of recommendations into their own systems.
3: Exactly. To integrate, you know, the game's accessibility and playability directly inside other existing platform, yeah. Yeah.
1: And Brian? I'm excited about a pair of things at CS 2024 when it comes to gaming. The first is I don't think it's a coincidence that we keep talking about TV and movies alongside gaming. Um, There's 45 film and TV adaptations currently in development on video game franchises now. So at places like C-Space at CES, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the announcements will be from some of these large entertainment companies and what partnerships they might announce with gaming around these franchises. So that's the first one secondly when you go to a place like central hall where you'll see the gaming and metaverse exhibitors together i'm really excited about what immersive gaming looks like there's a reason at the end we got really excited talking about vr headsets and haptics and could make a whole episode well i think we're going to see that continued evolution of some of those exhibitors that are providing just advanced haptic vests that make you feel like you're in the game those headsets that give you that multi-sensory experience beyond just sight and sound but You're seeing smell and taste being incorporated into uh, virtual reality now. So how does that impact gaming? Those are the two probably gaming megatrends that I'm most excited about. And
0: thank you, Brian, and thanks for the plug for C-Space, where I will actually be having uh, conversations, many of them probably a lot like this one, uh, with entertainment and media and tech and marketing leaders about the future of all of their industries. I'm sure we'll be talking about gaming there as part of the C-Space studio. Uh, For now, that wraps up this episode of CES Tech Talk. Mike Lucero at Samsung, Daphne Perro at Black Nuts and Brian Comiskey as the Consumer Technology Association. Thank you all so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you, James.
0: Thank you. Thank you, James. And hey, that's our show for now, but there's always more tech to talk about. So please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a moment and you can get even more CES and prepare for Vegas at ces.tech. That's C-E-S dot T-E-C-H our show today is produced by Nicole Vitovich and Mason Manuel, recorded by Andrew Lynn and edited by Third Spoon. I'm James Kotecki, Talking Tech on CES Tech Talk.